Conference realignment is in full swing. What does the landscape look like for Iowa and the rest of the Big Ten now that OU and Texas are on their way to the SEC? And who should Iowa and Big Ten fans want in the conference? Also, Wieskamp, Garza, the former Hawkeyes are now NBA players. We'll break down their draft selections during this recent NBA draft. We'll talk about their future and how they can get minutes immediately in the NBA. All that and much more during week 168 of Brada's Branded Thoughts. You're watching from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Are you a Hawkeye fan living in Story County? Do you feel isolated, like you're alone in a maze of red? Well, you're not the only one. And that's why we here at StoryCounty.News have launched a brand new section of our website from the Hawkeye of the Storm, which will feature our weekly podcast, Brada's Branded Thoughts, as well as other Hawkeye-related content for all you Story County residents who bleed black and gold, or if you live in western Iowa, eastern Iowa, or somewhere else other than Ames, and you're a Hawkeye fan, we'd love your support. All of our content is free, so again, give our Facebook page a follow, give it a like, and give our Twitter page a follow as well, at from the Hawkeye at from the Hawkeye on Twitter. The more likes, the more follows, the more support we get, the more content we can continue to push out, and it's all free. It's from the Hawkeye of the Storm, hosted by StoryCounty.News, for the best Hawkeye content in the area. Week 168 of Brad's Branded Thoughts. We are talking conference realignment here at From the Hawkeye of the Storm, specifically as it relates to Iowa and the rest of the Big Ten. But first, before we get to the biggest story in college football, let's talk a little bit about the NBA draft. Joe Wieskamp and Luca Garza both taken in the second round of the NBA draft. First of all, Joe Wieskamp selected by the San Antonio Spurs, a team that I think Joe fits in nicely to. Uh, he certainly brings a quick release from the three-point line, which the Spurs, who rank 20th out of 30 teams, or excuse me, 22 out of 30 teams uh, in the NBA last year in three-point percentage, they desperately need help from three. And who better to coach up a guy like Joe Wieskamp than one of the greatest coaches of all time in Greg Popovich? Now, Joe fits in well with the San Antonio mold. He's a quiet guy, goes about his business. Again, I think helps them uh, stretch the floor a little bit better. If you look at the Spurs roster from top to bottom, they really don't have a Joe Wieskamp type player. Let's look at their roster here uh, as we are discussing Joe Wieskamp as a second round selection. And keep in mind that uh, there's a lot of free agent business still going on. Players getting re-signed, being let go, uh, players signing with other teams. But as it relates to the San Antonio Spurs, uh, as far as free agents are concerned, the big one to watch is, of course, DeMar DeRozan. He's our unrestricted free agent, but um, Joe Wieskamp's not going to be a, Joe De uh, a DeMar DeRozan right off the bat. Um, so if you're if you're Joe Wieskamp, you want DeMar there. I think uh, he certainly fits that uh, mentor role for a guy like uh, Joe Wieskamp, who's, what, 10 years younger than DeMar DeRozan. But if you look up and down this roster, even through some of these guys that San Antonio has uh, on the free agent market this summer, there is nobody really that fits that Joe Wieskamp mold, except maybe another Iowa guy, Doug McDermott. This will be a big one to follow. Doug McDermott, uh, 29 years old, um, 
he's a guy who's jumped around from the Thunder to the Pacers uh, to the Spurs. Um, and, and now he's on the Spurs roster. Does Joe Wieskamp, does he earn a spot despite the fact that a guy who plays very similarly to Joe, I'm not saying they are the same player, but they do play similarly, can Joe Wieskamp earn a spot? Now, they didn't go to school together, uh, but they are from the state of Iowa together, so perhaps that can lend itself to a bit of a mentorship from Doug McDermott as well. But I do think Joe has an excellent opportunity to make an impact. I don't know how many minutes he'll get. Of course, uh, we'll, we'll learn more as we continue to watch, or as we start to watch, um, the NBA Summer Leagues. But again, Doug McDermott is the guy, if you look up and down the Spurs roster, that really the only guy that mirrors a bit the game of Joe Wieskamp. And of course, the Spurs loved Joe's athleticism. Uh, he really d- demonstrated that this past uh, NBA Combine, which I think most Iowa fans would admit we haven't really seen um, these grandiose examples of athleticism from Joe Wieskamp. Um, you know, defensively, I thought he was good at times, but at times he wasn't that good. Now, how much of a result of that is the Fran McCaffrey defensive scheme? You know, that's certainly a factor. Um, I mean, who really excels under Fran defensively, minus maybe a guy like Anthony Clemens, who I think that was his primary role, was a perimeter defender. So again, who else uh, on the Spurs roster really mirrors Joe's game? I don't see it anywhere. Rudy Gay is on this roster. Um, you know, Patty Mills, but he's more of your typical one. Um, you know, Trey Jones is on the roster as well. Um, DeJounte Murray, you know, he's a guy who certainly Joe will be competing for minutes with. But this is a very makeable roster. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, another guy um, there who kind of similar size to Joe, has more experience, of course. Um, so it's, it's you know, first year in the league, you're really balancing, trying to make a spot. Obviously, that's your number one priority. But also, once you get onto the roster, um, you're competing for minutes, but you're also, you have to sit back and learn from guys who have been around a lot longer than you. And certainly, I think Joe has the attitude and the work ethic from everything we've heard um, that he can do that. And again, what better guy to uh, be coaching you than Greg Popovich. Now, how about Luka Garza? You look at his selection. He was taken in the late second round by the Detroit Pistons. And it looked like for a while that uh, Luka Garza would be um, reunited with former Iowa forward Tyler Cook. Well, just days after Luka's selection, Tyler Cook was released by the Pistons. Not a surprising move um, if you're Detroit. However, it looked like Tyler had kind of found his team especially a Detroit team that has struggled. But, you know, the, the Pistons had a ton of selections in this draft, so it shouldn't be that surprising. Uh, they were able to get the number one player in the draft in Cade Cunningham. And I'm not usually real big on uh, high draft picks as far as, um, you know, making any vast predictions right off the bat. But I think Cade Cunningham, anybody who's watched him at the collegiate level can see how his game translates. And I think what really stuck out to me about Cade is listening to him speak after getting drafted. This is a mature guy, um, a guy who seems down to earth and uh, relatively humble um, and very, very intelligent. And so I think the Pistons, first of all, they're on the right track as far as rebuilding uh, a culture that we were accustomed to seeing back in even the early 2000s and certainly back into the days of Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer and all those guys, but uh, the bad boys, right? Uh, But if you look at Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Rip Hamilton, that era, 
Uh, that was not that long ago. Detroit is probably the worst team in the NBA right now if you just look at it from a, a production standpoint. But with talent now, again, um, taking a look at, at who they drafted, you've got Cade Cunningham, you've got Luca Garza, Isaiah Livers. Um, Isaiah Livers was very productive in Michigan. We know that he had considered coming out the year prior, uh, and then JT Thor as well. But I think what's interesting for Luca is the battle at center slash forward between himself and Isaiah Stewart. Remember, Isaiah Stewart is the big man that came out of uh, Washington uh, just the year prior and, you know, found playing time right away with Detroit. But if Luca Garza is going to make this roster, he's probably going to have to beat out a guy like Isaiah Stewart. Can you really retain two big men like Garza and Stewart when you already have a veteran like Mason Plumley? You've got Jeremy Grant, who sometimes plays the five, is more of a natural four. Um, you know, and I just don't know where, where Garza fits if this team retains Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Jalil Okafor is also on the roster. He's another veteran who has kind of had his ups and downs during his time in the league, but was certainly a high draft pick out of Duke. So all those things are uh, things to be considered, but we know the work ethic from Luca Garza, um, and I do have faith that Garza will make a roster. Uh, honestly, given the fact that uh, the Pistons drafted Garza and given their placement in uh, the standings, at least last year, and the move to um, cut Tyler Cook, I like Garza's chances to make a roster a little bit better than Wieskamp. I'm not saying Wieskamp um, is going to be relegated to Europe. Um, we've seen that with Iowa players who have gotten drafted, uh, a la Aaron White. But I do think Garza has a better chance of playing this year because of the roster makeup and, again, the veterans he has in front of him. You know he's going to be taking everything in from Mason Plumley uh, and Jaleel Okafor. And, again, it's a battle, I think, between Garza and Isaiah Stewart. For, as far as San Antonio is concerned, um, I, I, again, I think both guys will make a roster. But I think Joe, I could see him playing some G League here uh, right off the bat to start his professional career, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I think that's what Joe expected if he didn't make it. Initially, he was okay with playing in the G League. I don't think he's heading overseas anytime soon. Um, but I do think both guys have excellent opportunities. And, and I don't think there really could have been any better of a, of a uh, team for either of these guys to land on. Um, I think both rosters suit well for each individual um, just from a roster makeup standpoint and, again, coaching standpoint for Joe Wieskamp especially getting Greg Popovich as a coaching mentor at this level. Now, moving over to the biggest story in college sports over the past two weeks, realignment. The shattering, earth-shattering breaking news just, uh, what, a week and a half ago about uh, Oklahoma University and Texas deciding to leave the Big 12 and join the SEC. And it happened over the course of just a couple of days, it seems like, uh, the news broke that they were seeking to leave the Big 12. Then they requested um, they requested entry into the SEC. The SEC gladly will accept uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Um, and as far as what this does to college football, I think that's been covered widely. Um, our good friend Mark Rogers over the Voice of College Football has put in tireless work uh, talking about conference realignment and how those two moves affect college football going forward. I agree with Mark. I don't think it's the best thing for college football, 
but it is what it is. It was inevitable to happen at some point. And as we know, the SEC and Greg Sankey, they are much more avid about football than a lot of the country is. Now, Big Ten football fans are avid. I'm not debating that at all. But SEC football rules in Alabama, in Florida, in Mississippi, in Georgia, etc., etc. So, other conferences will have to respond. First of all, the Big 12, as we know, here in Ames, we are from the Hawkeye of the Storm, broadcasting from Ames, Iowa. Iowa State has put a lot of money into some uh, new facilities here in Ames. Um, just this past year, tons of work being done throughout COVID. And uh, now you've got to wonder, what does this do to Iowa State? Iowa State, of course, has an opportunity this year. They are one of the favorites in the Big 12 Conference. But moving forward, how does this affect their stranglehold on Matt, Cam Matt Campbell? Matt Campbell had an opportunity uh, this past season, I think several opportunities, honestly, from what I've heard, to go to the NFL. There were a lot of rumblings about him heading to the Detroit Lions. He stayed put in Ames. Does this affect his decision-making going forward? The Big 12 is not going to be able to sit around and wait for... Uh, decisions from other conferences. They have to be proactive, and I think they are right now. Bob Bowlesby, uh, we had a report uh, leak out today that the Pac-12 and Big 12 are meeting to discuss possible, possibly teaming up um, as two conferences potentially merging. If not a merger, then a built-in um, scheduling partnership, if you will. And so the Big 12 is being proactive with this as best they can, given the circumstances. I think there's certainly an opportunity at litigation against the SEC. Uh, I think more so against the uh, against ESPN. Bob Bowles be calling out ESPN last week. Um, there is some. There are a lot of politics involved with conference realignment. If you don't think there are, you're being naive to what college football is. Of course, this is all uh, financed literally by money. And so these moves are brought about because of financial reasons, financial considerations. So uh, all these conferences, these next couple of years, and I think, again, it's sooner rather than later, conferences are going to have to decide how do we stay alive? How do we compete with the SEC? There have been rumors that the SEC would target Florida State and Clemson. If that happens, if Clemson goes to the SEC, which I don't think would be the best thing for Clemson, that's my opinion. I mean, look what Clemson has done. Now, from a revenue standpoint, that's a different discussion. But from a competition standpoint, Clemson has uh, dominated the, SC, uh, the ACC, and they have received compensation, if you will, from a college football playoff standpoint. I can see where Oklahoma feels slighted. Uh, here's a team that has consistently won Big 12 championships, and the Big 12 hasn't gotten a team into the playoffs since 2016. So again... Um, we understand the move there. Um, but as far as Clemson is concerned, I don't see how that helps the Tigers, uh, again, except from a uh, financial standpoint. Um, but again, if the SEC were able to land Clemson, and now you have an SEC made up of Alabama, OU, that's Oklahoma, Clemson, LSU, plus all the other SEC teams, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Missouri, um, Florida, forgot Florida. How could we forget Florida? Um, Georgia. The SEC becomes the powerhouse of college football. I mean, many people consider them to be the powerhouse as it is, and especially with Oklahoma and Texas. Although Texas, I think people are making a little bit bigger 
deal out of what Texas has been doing. I mean, they haven't done anything over the past 10 years. They've had like one excellent season over the past 10 to 12 years. Um, but again, they are Texas. They do have a very large uh, fan base, a very uh, large alum base. So I get it. But again, uh, Florida State kind of in the same boat as Texas, but the big moves here are Oklahoma and potentially Clemson. So if that happens, how does the Big Ten respond? We know that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are potentially looking at a merger. If that were to happen, if the Big 12 were to merge with the Pac-12, and now, again, whether we want to call this the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the, the Big Pac, maybe we want to call that. That sort of sounds a little bit too close to Super Pac, but uh, anyways... Um, if that were to happen, then you're looking at a super, con- really two super conferences between the SEC and the Big 12. I still don't think the Big 12 is to the competitive level that the SEC is. USC has been has really done nothing on a national scale, and, and neither has UCLA from a football standpoint on a national scale in years. But again, the fan bases, the alum bases, and the money that the conference would generate as a result of adding those schools or having these two conferences merge would be exceptional. So I think, again, from a survival standpoint, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 would survive. If that were to happen and the SEC is still where the SEC is, then the Big 10 has to look and say, how can we join forces with the ACC? I don't know how that would happen. Um, I know people have talked more about the Big 10 joining forces with the Pac-12. They've got a storied uh, relationship with the Pac-12. Uh, you think about what happened last year during COVID and kind of the Pac-12 playing second fiddle to the Big Ten, which kind of played second fiddle to everybody else. Um, and so there is a, a history of a relationship. So I, I have a hard time seeing the Pac-12 just abandoning that. But I don't think many fans have much uh, faith in Kevin Warren as commissioner to make a decision that is in the best interest of the athletic departments across the Big Ten. But somebody's going to have to do that. Um again, for the sake of the competitive survival of this conference. So, you know, potentially you have, you know, a power three conferences, power four conferences. If the Big 12 and the Pac-12 were to somehow merge, the SEC is, uh, and again, if they take Clemson, how does the ACC respond except by joining forces with the Big 10? You know, maybe the Big 10 can lure Georgia Tech, North Carolina, um, you know, maybe like a Virginia I don't know about Virginia Tech, but then, you know, what do you do with Wake Forest, Boston College, Duke? I mean, do you relegate them to a non-Power 5 conference? I mean, how do do Duke fans, especially Duke basketball fans, feel about that? Uh, Or is there a circumstance where you can uh, play ACC basketball with Duke and then Duke football is kind of on the back burner? I mean, Duke football, Wake Forest football, Boston College football, even Syracuse football, I could easily see them falling to like an American conference level. Uh, and of course, the American is also a player in all this. I mean, Cincinnati certainly fits the Big Ten landscape. I mean, they're a little bit further south, but I, uh, you know, the, the Big Ten's got Penn State and Maryland and Rutgers, so I think they would fit the landscape. Um, you know, do I see Kentucky leaving the SEC? I don't. Uh, I don't really see anybody leaving the SEC because if they were, Missouri would fit the Big Ten mold. But I think. All of this comes back to my biggest point as it relates to realignment, as it relates to Iowa. I think it's time for Iowa fans and Big Ten fans to embrace Iowa State joining the Big Ten. Now, I know a lot of Iowa fans will say, well, they don't bring anything to the conference. 
what happens when Matt Campbell leaves, uh, basketball finished last. Well, first of all, if we're really going to take basketball into consideration, then Iowa fans and Big Ten fans should be lobbying for Kansas because they have been the most dominating force in the Big 12 and really in this region for years. But basketball really isn't coming into play here as far as a financial output, and, and it makes sense because football is the money makers or is the money maker of college football and these institutions. So you can't really bring up what Iowa State has done in basketball. And I think, by the way, I think Iowa State will be fine from a basketball standpoint. They've had a nice um, see off season with uh, TJ Otzelberger at, at the helm now in Ames. I think from a recruiting and, again, transfer portal standpoint. But I think it's time for Iowa fans to realize that Matt Campbell is here to stay. Uh, again, he had opportunities to leave this past season and did not. And I believe that if he were to leave, it would have been, and I'm not saying he'll never leave, but I'm saying if he were going to leave anytime soon, it would have been this past season. Iowa State has been on the rise. Now Iowa State has pressure this season, so it's going to be a lot easier for Matt Campbell to underachieve. And there were a lot of jobs opening. I mean, think about the Detroit job. I mean, he's a Midwest guy himself, Matt Campbell is. That would have been a job that you would think he would be okay with taking. The Detroit Lions are not dumpster fire. They've got a Super Bowl runner-up quarterback in Jared Goff and a pretty avid fan base up in Michigan. Now, again, I understand it's Detroit, um, but certainly that would have been a job I could have seen Matt Campbell take, but he did not. He is here. Iowa State returns a ton of talent this year. They're arguably a top 10 team preseason. And again, let's remember, they fit the academic standard of the Big Ten. They are an AAU school. I'm not going to try to explain what makes them an AAU school. You can Google that if you so choose. The only AAU schools in the Big 12 are Kansas and Iowa State. So those are really the two schools that have uh, kind of garnished this attention um, from a sports talk standpoint as far as it relates to Iowa and the Big Ten. I know fans don't want Kansas because of where that, that football program has been. Now, we do know Kansas has the ability to be a respectable Big Ten football team. Or, excuse me, respectable football team. Um, Mark Mangino, before he got into some uh, moral and legal issues, uh, he had them as a top 25 team. That was, what, 10, 12 years ago? 13, maybe? To look back at the at the uh, seasons, but Kansas, I mean, again, they have been dominant in basketball. They do. Um, there are some legal issues pending with Bill Self and the FBI scandal with uh, Kansas. So, you know, do you want to really make any moves on Kansas before that gets figured out? So, I could see Kansas certainly plays second fiddle to Iowa State and all this. But again, I think it's time for Iowa State fans and Iowa fans to embrace the idea of Iowa State coming to the Big Ten. It's a win-win all around. I get it. There's no TV market that the Big Ten would gain, but TV markets are overrated now. I mean, this is a totally different landscape than when Penn State joined the Big Ten, when Rutgers joined the Big Ten, when Maryland joined the Big Ten. Um, Yeah, you're not gaining any markets, but I, I do think it would spice up this rivalry. And let's remember something else. As I talked about this on uh, Mark Rogers' show yesterday as we recorded a live segment, um, let's remember that Iowa has been, Iowa fans have been wanting a different Power 5 team to play Iowa in non-conference for years. And it hasn't been able to happen, A, because for a long time, 
uh, Iowa just really wasn't scheduling them. You had Pittsburgh coming to town. You had uh, Iowa going out to Arizona, Arizona State, whatnot. But then they go to nine conference games. That eliminates one of the two Power Five non-conference games. You've got to have the two cupcakes in there. This year it's Colorado State and Kent State. And then, of course, Iowa State because it's a built-in rivalry. It's not going anywhere, nor should it. But if Iowa State joins the Big Ten, that now becomes a conference rivalry. Could be played at the end of the season. Can you imagine that? Uh, in Jack Tri Stadium or Kinnick Stadium. Again, could be played at the end of the season. And now you open up that spot in the non-conference for a Notre Dame or an LSU or a Texas or a Colorado or take your pick. Okay. Now, how would they? How would Iowa handle the scheduling behind that, we don't know. But we know this, that that would open things up for Iowa to schedule somebody else in the non-conference. Iowa State is right there with Iowa, as of right now, in competitiveness at the football level. Now, they have not proved to be able to sustain anything that Iowa has been able to sustain. But again, from a preseason standpoint, there's more hype around Iowa State this year than Iowa. So I don't think Iowa fans should dismiss it I think we should embrace it because it is the survival of the fittest. It's the survival of the strongest conferences. Does Iowa State coming to the Big Ten even things out with the SEC? No, and especially if the SEC were to grab Clemson and Florida State. It does not even things out. But the Big Ten is going to have to make several moves in order to survive realignment season, as is the Big 12. The Big 12 is really in trouble. The Big Ten isn't in trouble yet, I don't think, but certainly could get in trouble, especially if Clemson joins the SEC, which I don't think will happen. I don't think it's smart for Clemson, but again, um, we've been surprised before. So again, lots to talk about. We've got, it's August now. What is this, August 3rd? This is August 3rd, folks. We've got, like what, four weeks till college football's here? Four weeks. And it's college football season again. And believe you me, here in the state of Iowa, we've got the Iowa State Fair in uh, less than two weeks. This month is going to fly by, folks. I think we're going to have full capacity at, at uh, games at Kinnick. I'm not going to get into the mask mandates. Um, that's uh, obviously a, more of a uh, political discussion. We'll let the political commentators handle that. We're not here to talk politics. But we could have mask mandates at college football games this fall. Regardless, we are going to get, I think, full stadiums this fall. I would be very surprised if there's not full stadiums, um, the University of Iowa, and again, I may not know the, the legal ramifications here. I'm not sure that the Big Ten can uh, require vaccine cards to be shown. I don't think they can. Um, public institutions. I could be wrong on that. Um, and especially given some of these man these reverse mandates, if you will, or these orders like from the Iowa governor that uh, is basically outlawing mask mandates. I mean, in, private institutions can, don't get me wrong, but I don't think Iowa and Iowa State could do that. Or, again, I, I don't know how that would work from a Big Ten standpoint. So we'll see how the Big Ten handles it. I mean, as of right now, I think we're expecting full, we are expecting full capacity crowds. And it all starts week one against Indiana. So over the coming four weeks, we are going to release our podcast here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. We're going to talk about the schedule. We're going to talk about the roster, the depth chart, um, and we're going to break down every every single angle of this Iowa football team and talk about where we see them uh, finishing 
uh, towards season season's end. But one thing I wanted to talk about before we leave, a big announcement last night from Mark Rogers over the Voice of College Football. And if you have not already gone over to subscribe to Mark Rogers uh, at the Voice of College Football, please do. The guy is a work horse, an absolute workhorse. And um, he's done a tremendous job, and he's he's uh, it's paying off. It's paying off for him. Um, I think I, college football fans in general are seeing uh, his expertise, appreciating it. Uh, he holds uh, live uh, call-in shows and, and shows where you can chat and interact with, with Mark live, as well as recorded segments that he releases on his main channel, which now, last time I checked, was around 28,000 subscribers uh, large. Uh, but what I want to encourage you to do is head on over to Iowa at the Voice of College Football. That's uh, a new channel, new YouTube channel that Mark Rogers has launched, Iowa at the Voice of College Football, because if you missed the announcement last night, you can go back and watch it on Mark's main channel. We will be hosting live post-game shows after every Iowa game this fall. Let me repeat that. We are teaming up with the Voice of College Football to host live post-game shows after every Iowa football game this fall, okay? So this means that you will have an opportunity to have your voice heard, have your comments heard, and not only that, and this is the really exciting part for me, not only will I be able to host this show, we have the opportunity and the privilege to have uh, former Iowa assistant coach Don Patterson as a guest more times than not on the show. He's got a schedule. I know he's committed to uh, Northern Iowa football, uh, does some uh, analysis for them on game days. But Don Patterson will be joining us to break down uh, almost every Iowa football game this fall live on YouTube at the Voice of College Football. So again, if you haven't subscribed to Iowa at the Voice of College Football, do that. Of course, we want you to subscribe right here. If you haven't already subscribed to our channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm, subscribe to this channel and then head on over to Iowa at the Voice of College Football because, again, live post-game shows after every Iowa game. We're going to have a good time doing it, and Don is one of the best in the business. If you don't know, Don Patterson um, was an assistant under Hayden Fry. Uh, I mean, we all know the Hayden Fry coaching tree, whether it be Dan McCarney, um, whether it be, you know, Bob Stoops, either of the Stoops brothers, really, uh, Bill Snyder, Kirk Ferentz, etc., etc., and go on and on, Barry Alvarez. Um, but just remember, this guy is a class act. He is going to bring it each and every week. Uh, so we are so excited to welcome Don Patterson to our post-game shows, which again, will start this fall, week one, against Indiana. We appreciate you listening to week 168 of Brad's Branded Thoughts. We will be back next week. And if there is any, uh, if there are any breaking news stories throughout the month of August that we feel inclined to jump on, we may do a live show here or there on this channel or on Iowa at the Voice of College Football, um, and uh, or, or we'll have a recorded version that will pop on. So uh, we may continue to um, filter out content throughout the week, uh, besides just our weekly podcast. So. Keep it right here to From the Hawkeye of the Storm for everything Hawkeye-related and Big Ten-related as we count down the weeks and the days until the start of college football, until the start 
of Iowa Hawkeye football. Thank you for listening to week 168 of Braddus Brandon Thoughts. We will talk to you soon. Go Hawks.